struggle this morning with what we're going to start today. And the reason is, and I was trying to figure out why, <laughs> and my wife was praying for me before I came up and I realized why. Um, I know we say all the time we have a favorite, you know, this is my favorite verse and my favorite chapter and all this kind of stuff, but when we come to Romans 8, uh, I can't tell you. I can't tell you how many times God has come to me and helped me in Romans 8. And I can't tell you the times that I've struggled with sin and failure in my life, and I've come to this chapter and just met the goodness of God. And, and I want to give that to you so bad. If I could give to you Romans 8, and you could, when this day, when we're done in here, and you could go live your life from Romans 8, you change the world. This would be a room full of world changers if I could give that to you. And so I'm intimidated by the magnitude of what we discussed today. And uh, so I didn't know I was going to be emotional. I had some jokes, but there you go. <laughs> Romans 8 is just this incredibly powerful chapter of God's Word. And I cannot underestimate for you the power. In fact, uh, let me help you with your Christian journey. I don't know where you're at disciple-wise, but your Christian walk is somewhere in Romans 5, 6, 7, or 8. You're in one of those four chapters. Some of you have not come to faith yet in your chapter 5. Some of you are relatively new to the faith and you, are, you don't understand what's happened at all and you're in Romans 6. Then some of you do understand what's happening but you are really struggling and feeling like you're getting nowhere. You're in Romans 7. And then some of you are free. You've hit Romans 8. Romans 8 is freedom. But it's also practical. This, this is one of the reasons our church is named Ordinary Faith. I, am, I cannot stand. I have a, a violent regurgitation effect over theology that has no practical purpose. It just makes me sick. I don't see any point in sitting around griping about what the world doesn't know. They're, the world's lost. We've got to stop being mad at them for being lost. That's kind of stupid. And we need to really think about, we need our theology. It needs to have feet on the ground. It needs to matter. And if it doesn't matter, then I know it sounds really pragmatic and there are folks who would attack me for it, but I don't care about them. I do care about the fact that Jesus Christ designed and created salvation in such a way that it should have an impact on the world and it should be evident in every believer's life. And so today we're stepping into a chapter that leads you into overwhelming victory. But in order to have overwhelming victory and experience, you're going to have to change some things. And that's what this chapter is about. It's living from a different source, a source you don't know. And, and so this whole series is called Unshakable Faith. And the purpose of this idea of unshakable faith and today's unshakable faith and today's message is called living differently is that your faith can be strong. And I know what it's like to struggle with your faith. If, you're, if you look at me or Michael or Pastor Steve or any of the leadership team or anybody in a leadership role at Ordinary Faith and think they do not struggle with their faith, you would be incorrect. That's not true. We struggle. In fact, the more you explore faith and the more you dig into it, the more you're going to struggle. And the more you struggle, the Holy Spirit is going to drive that word and truth deeper and the more you're going to be founded. And so if I'm doing my job today, I'm probably going to create some struggle for you. And then in that struggle, God will take you deeper and make your faith unshakable because I want your faith to stand. I want my faith to stand. And, and, and we need to embrace that as Christians today, that no matter what the suffering that may come or no matter the struggles that may happen in your life or in regard to your own purpose and future, I want your faith to stand. Now today we come at the issue of guilt and shame. And, I'm a, and I kind of want to apologize for all the preachers you may have heard before me. It makes me angry that pulpits today use guilt and shame to try and get people to do stuff. Guilt and shame are tools of hell, not heaven. And they cannot be used to do the work of God. Okay, And so those churches who use those tools create a weak foundation. And they don't 
foster life transformation. They foster religious habit. And I would rather see righteousness, real righteousness. So today when I talk about guilt and shame, I want you to know, (laughs) this week I celebrated my 32nd anniversary. You're saying, hey, that's great, yeah. What I want you to think about in that is the offshoot of that is like, oh, he's messed up a lot. (laughs) This is true. I've been a parent for over 30 years, okay? I've been a pastor for over 25. Why am I telling you that? I know about guilt and shame. I know about mistakes. I know about anger. I know about doing the wrong thing, making the wrong choices. I know about standing in pride. I know about my theology falling short of God's word and and preaching it like I knew what I was talking about. I know all about that. I know about guilt and shame. Okay, I do. Plus that, I, I grew up in a very rigid, legalistic faith. And that was just what you were taught, you know, guilt and shame. So I identify with the problem. I have a lot of reasons to feel guilty. So let's get free. You ready? I'm ready. Whether you are or not, let's go. So let's start with some things that happened for us today as Christians. And I, I do have to be clear. If you haven't come to a place of faith yet, you should probably listen to last Sunday's message, okay? <laughs> today is really geared toward believers, okay? But I will, we will try and help you out. I'll have a few things here to kind of pull you that way to help you see where I'm coming from. But let's start with this idea for Christians that you possess a new freedom. Let's jump into Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, out of the New Living Translation. I have it memorized out of the King James, so if I flip over into King James, you hear some these and thous. I'm sorry. All right. Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Say amen. Amen. That's God's word. I didn't write it. That's the word right there. Verse 2. And because you belong to him, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Say, I am free. Verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. This is why rules don't work, okay? Our sinful nature makes sure rules will never work. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse 4, He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So back to verse 1. So now, and as Steve pointed out earlier, many translations has a therefore in that. And anytime you see a therefore, because we're going to get to a second one in this text today, as my, uh, one of my pastors used to say, whenever you see a therefore, you need to figure out what the therefore is there for. Okay? That helped me remember, okay? The NLT says you belong to Christ. King James says you are in Christ. And this theme of belonging to Christ and being in Christ is just all in Paul's letters. He's, this is his, one of his favorite ideas, that we have moved from a place of in Adam, which we'll see in a minute, to a place of in Christ. And so what I want you to understand, if you are a believer and follower of Christ... And I pause there on purpose. I need you to hear me. If you're a believer and follower of Christ, not I don't care if you have the label Christian. I don't care if you go to church. I'm saying if you're a believer and follower of Christ, because if you believe, you follow. If you don't believe, you may be a Christian and not follow. Okay? So if you're a believer and follower of Christ, then the simple text is this. There's no condemnation. God is never going to drop the gavel on a a believer and say, guilty, you're condemned for eternity. That's never going to happen. The sentence is never going to cross in that way. You have left a world of guilt and shame. It is a past event as a believer. This has happened. This is certain and real. You have transferred from darkness to light, from guilt and shame to freedom. You live in a whole new world, okay? That is the basis for your Christianity right there, okay? You've got to wrap your heart around that. This, if your Christianity is, yeah, I prayed a prayer, and now I go to church, and I'm kind of humdrum, and I still do my own thing, you are not getting to the true transformative power of what it is, okay? 
This thing puts you in a whole new world, a whole new reality. You possess a new freedom. You belong to Christ. Or, or in other places, you are in Christ. How did you get there? Because I remember as I was taking this journey in Romans 8, and I, and I should really throw some names out there. One of them is here today. Dave Wilkinson gave me a book called The Green Letters that absolutely reshaped my life and view of sanctification by faith. And through that book, I encountered a work by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life. And if you don't own a, nor the, a copy of the book, Normal Christian Life, you're probably not even saved yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Okay. You should get one. It will blow your mind. He also introduced me to a man named Andrew Murray. Norbert Green's back here today. He's, he was, we were, there were several discussions with Norbert and Dave and so forth that really helped me understand some of these things when we were trying to wrestle with what it means to be in Christ. But let me help you a little bit now. <clears throat> Every night, if you have children or when you had children at home, you'd put them in the bedroom, right? Maybe 20 or 30 times. <laughs> You did that, and once they finally settled down and they were asleep, you'd come maybe to your easy chair, or maybe you went to bed if it was that late, and you could finally exhale. You parents know what that means? Your grandparents know what I'm talking about? You're like, okay, they're safe. They cannot blow up anything in the room that they are currently secured within. I can rest for a moment. You put your children in their room they were safe you had peace maybe your wife needs to go visit her mother that sometimes wives have to do that for some weird reason okay sons never have to visit their mother but wives always right <laughs> maybe you're putting her on a plane maybe you're making sure she's in a car but there's a point that comes that she's in something or she's on something and you go okay I've done all I can do she's there she's in the car on her way I've done what I can do Okay? Uh, there are a lot of things like that. Maybe your husband dresses poorly. Most of us do. You're probably looking at my shirt going, what was Christy thinking this morning? <laughs> and I'll tell you how this conversation went. I said, honey, I would like to wear that shirt. Will you iron it? And she said, yes. I said, is it okay? She said, don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. Will you iron my shirt? So you want your husband to look nice, you put him in some new clothes. God wants you in his family wholly restored and complete, holy and blameless without a single fault. That's what he wants of you. When you ask the question, how do I get in Christ, you're asking the wrong question. You should have asked, how did I get in Christ? And here's how. 1 Corinthians 1.30, God has united you with Christ. You don't do it, God does it. Do you understand? Colossians 3.3, 3, your real life is hidden with Christ and God. You belong to Christ. You are in Christ. The moment you believed and followed, your situation changed. You belong to Christ. Then verse 3. Now let me, I'm going to go ahead and read this again. This is a pretty important verse. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And that body, God declared, in, the, in that body, God declared an end to sin's control by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Okay? Guys, uh, we talk about sin. We talk about being sinners. We talk about those ideas a lot in church. And you need to wrap your head around them. Because until you understand the gravity of sin, you'll never understand the magnificence of grace. Okay? And there's this move among believers today and in churches today to minimize sin and just say, well, it's all grace and we don't have to worry about sin and all those kind of things anymore. And I, I do disagree. I, I don't like legalism. I like real righteousness, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But what we need to understand is that our idea of what is right and wrong is messed up. We're always trying to earn a place with God. We think that if we can start doing better, we can somehow fix the guilt and shame that's in our life. Or if we can just deny sin hard enough and, and, and get enough people to agree with us enough that somehow we can fix the, the condemnation. But the problem is that no matter what we do, our actions are never going to be pure and our motives are never going to be pure out of ourselves. That's never going to happen in Michael. 
which, which Paul would have called the flesh or the sarx, the S-A-R-X was the Greek word, in the flesh, that's never going to happen. You stand before God like that, God has no choice but to condemn you. You cannot go to God. No matter how good you think you are, your thoughts make you no good. And then you stand before God and you have to answer for that. That was a problem for God. God said the law couldn't do it. No matter how many rules I make, they'll never be able to follow them. The problem isn't the law. The problem is the people. The problem is the heart of Adam that's rooted in Adam that cannot go away. They are not sinners because they sin. They sin because they're sinners. That is a huge idea, guys. It's huge, okay? We think that if we can do enough good, we can become righteous. It's not, the problem is not the deeds. The problem is always the root. And the root is we're descendants of Adam, and there's no way we can ever do right from that root. So sin is the strong power in our life, and here's the problem. The law has to be satisfied. It has to. You don't break God's law. You don't break God's law. God doesn't even break God's law. God institutes a higher law. But you don't break God's law. And so the law had to be satisfied. So that's what Paul is pointing us to in Romans chapter 8. So Jesus shows up. He comes in a body just like the one you're wearing today. He never made a mistake. Never messed up one time. Never rejected God. Never denied his father. Never sinned at all in word, thought, or deed. Never sinned ever. He's the only uncondemned man who ever lived. This is what you have to wrap your head around. What do I mean uncondemned? The wages of sin is death. We are sinners, have the root of sin. We sin, therefore we're all condemned. So Jesus comes, he's the only one who's not condemned. Verse 4, we find out that Jesus dies for us and that his actions, or that he, his sentence of condemnation, or our sentence of condemnation, is actually placed on him. I should reread verse 4 again. He did this so that just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the, the, the Spirit. So the sentence of condemnation was actually placed on Christ. Christ died for you on the cross for your sins. Do you remember the day you realized that? Let's pause for a minute. Do you remember the day that you realized that Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect one, died for me? If you can remember that day, that was probably the day that you you. You gave your life to Christ. You realized this was for me, for my sin. And so, the only person who ever did not deserve death or punishment got it. I'll give you another Romans passage. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinners. And since we have been made right with God, Men may write in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. I'm trying to stay on track here, so bear with me. Here's the point that I'm trying to make in this freedom segment. If you're feeling condemnation right now, or guilt or shame, it's not coming from God if you're a believer and follower of Christ. It's not coming from him. If you think your medical problems are God's judgment on the way you lived your younger life or the way your children are acting in adulthood because of some decisions that you made, that is not God's condemnation. That all, and I mean all, condemnation on your life was placed on Jesus Christ. All your sins were future when Jesus died on a cross for you. So your, tomorrow's mistakes are covered in the blood as well. And yet, you'll probably have some, okay? But, nonetheless, I need you to get your head wrapped around the fact that the guilt and shame that you're experiencing in life is not coming from the Father. It's coming from regrets, maybe from the enemy, maybe from realization. But Father comes and says there's no condemnation. God is not beating you up over your sins. Can you hear me? God's not doing that. Okay? So if we feel condemnation in our life, it's not coming from him. Okay, So God says the power of sin is broken. I just read that several times over. Paul says it many times in Romans, hits it again in Galatians. The power of sin is broken in our lives. Okay, That's good stuff. We're not trying to break it. And here's where I'm going to kind of fly in the face of some things you may have heard. We cannot fight. There's no need to fight sin. 
There's no need to fight sin in our life because sin, the power of sin, the control of sin is already ruined in our life. In fact, here's what the fight against sin in your life, because I have even preached this before, and I see now that I was incorrect, and I, but I need you to hear me because I'm, I'm praying for real righteousness, not just pseudo-righteousness. That means I don't care how it looks. I care what it produces. The fruit of real righteousness is always love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control. That's the fruit. It's not big churches, big numbers, lots of baptisms, leading small groups and people attending, lots of friends. Those are not the fruit. The fruit is the love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, all those kind of things that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5. That's the real righteousness that we're looking for. When we try and fight sin in our life, here's what's really happening, and this is why you'll never win. It's the flesh trying to be good. And the flesh will never be good. I have eight sons. I'm here to tell you. (laughs) They want to be good. And then it's hard. And it doesn't happen. So when we try and fight something that's already dead, because that's what sin has no power over us. We're dead to sin. We'll come to that in a minute. We try and fight something. You You think you can win a fight with a dead man? How many times you punch him before he goes out? Who's the idiot in the scenario? <laughs> All right? So we need to know and move from wrong beliefs about sin in our lives. Because you can be free from sin and still feel like it's a major power in your life. Do you know why? Because your enemy is a very good liar. Okay? And so if we can move into truth... And start believing the simple word that God said. You're free from the power of sin. Sin has no control over you. There's no condemnation. So you as a Christian already possess freedom. You have it right now. Okay? So you possess freedom. Now, you also have a new path before you. You also have a new way before you. You guys ever play Super Mario Brothers? Some of you wise people... And, you, and I, I never was very good at video games, so I don't like them now and mock my children for playing them, but that's a different <laughs> thing. But my brother was pretty good, and he taught me that there's all these, these like secret pathways, and like you can get to level max, 12, whatever it was, by finding these shortcuts, and then boom, you were upgraded several levels without a whole lot of effort on your part. So how about we level up? You ready? Okay. So Romans 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's important to understand that last phrase right there because that sinful nature will tell you it can we can do this we can go to church enough we can give enough money we can help enough we can serve enough we we can do that but then you start trying and you encounter failure it never works verse 8 that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God nothing out of the flesh will ever make God happy nothing out of the flesh will ever make God happy. Nothing out of your strength will ever satisfy Father. You hear me? Say amen. Say, I don't even know what you said, but okay, amen. (laughs) I'm not sure why that was a big deal. And that's why you need revelation, because that was a big deal. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Verse 10 and 11, And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you oh man that is pure good stuff right there g-u-d good all right yeah i went to school in tennessee all right so this new path is opened up to you you have leveled up where before you only had the options of the sinful nature only had your strength to operate from 
You could only move in Adam because you were born in Adam. You were born of a, of a descendant of Adam. You're a descendant of Adam. That's the only strength that you had. And so religion could offer you like attempts and trying to satisfy God, but that will never happen. So God levels you up. God takes you through the secret tunnel and poof, you're in a new land. And in that new land, now you have the Holy Spirit within you. You're no longer in Adam. You are now in Christ. You no longer have just your strength to function from. You now have the strength of Christ, who's actually, according to Paul, living within you. Christ is in you right now. All around this room, just Christ living in all of you. People, sometimes we pray, Lord, we really need you to show up. You're here, right? He showed up. Okay? <clears throat> So this is true. This is true for you. But that, what is, but that sinful nature is no longer true for you. That is another place. So now we have this walking in the Spirit that's available to us. Now, verse 8 goes on to tell us that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So obviously, Paul had the same problem in Rome that we have in the church today. That you have people who have Christ living in them and their lives are still a mess. They're still looking unrighteous. Now here's where Paul deviates from most of the church today. Paul, most of the church today says, okay, well they're not acting right, so we better get some rules in place, some accountability going on. We got to do something in the flesh to control these people. That's what religion does. That's not what Paul does. Paul says, hey, you got the Holy Spirit. There's a new way to live now. There's something different going on, a new option that's available to you. So if you're, in, you're looking at your life right now, and it doesn't look a lot like Jesus Christ, and I know a lot of us, we could all find things in our life that don't look like Jesus. I get it. But, I mean, maybe there's, there's some sin in your life you're trying to overcome, those kind of things. And what we normally do is we keep trying in the flesh to beat it and beat it and beat it. We can't. We give up and just say, well, that's normal. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We use it as an excuse. We use it as an excuse for being unrighteousness, being, living in unrighteousness, okay? And we're telling ourselves it's normal. And it's, it is normal for Christians to have struggles, but... Here's what I want to correct today. You should probably write this down in some degree or remember something, okay? Christians don't struggle with sin. Christians struggle with faith. Christians struggle believing. There's a reason Paul said and initiated the letter of Romans in Romans chapter 1 with a quotation from Habakkuk that says, The just shall live by faith. The justified shall live by believing, okay? There's a reason he drove that home. And this is why I believe in salvation by faith, and I believe in sanctification by faith. Okay? Now, there are those who would disagree with me. Okay? My own father and I have had long discussions about it. Okay? And um, if he were here, he could give you his side, but he's not, and I've got the floor. So, <laughs> my point is simply this. Our struggle is with faith, and that's why we sin. We struggle believing what's true. What is true about us now. And so we need to learn to do as Paul said in Romans 12, which is transform our minds, renew our minds, change the way we think. And then doing so will change the way we believe, and in doing that will change the way we live. Does that make sense? Are you, are you with me, okay? You're, okay, you're trying, and I appreciate it, all right? Christ died for you. You also need to realize, no, does anyone in the room... Okay, with a, a rousing amen, did Christ die for you on the cross? Amen. That, was, that was pretty rousing. I, I feel motivated. Very good. Galatians 2.20. My old self was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ died for you. Amen. You died with Christ. Amen. Amen. You died. What he did for you, you did with him. Amen. What he did for you, you did with him. And so that moves our struggle out of ourselves, out of the nature of Adam, out of what I can do, and into the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that brings us into this new path of real righteousness. 
Life in the Spirit is a life that's pleasing to God. I, I, I'm a reader. I feel like you have to be in, a ministry, in the ministry. You need to, to, to know what's going on in the world and what's happening in thought and philosophy and those kind of things. So I try to be an avid reader. And I love some of the Reformed writers, man. I loved Sproul or Sproul. I never knew how to say his name, but I know how to, you know, I read his books. <laughs> I know I've got a lot of people like that. Love Piper, uh, love the old ones, John Owens, all those kind of things. What they did for me, what the Reformed writers do for me, is they, do, they have such an excellent concept of the gravity of sin and, and how depraved it, it is and how wicked it is and so forth. What, where I depart from them is that they, 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 move into, they tend to move into these legalistic realms of settling for an appearance of righteousness versus a heart of righteousness. I mean, you know, by your fruits you shall know them, is what the verse says. I could read to you out of the Bible in the flesh, and it would produ- there are parts of it that my flesh would produce fleshly results of judgment, anger, thinking I'm the only one right, uh, all those kind of, the fruits of the flesh in Galatians 5. I read the Bible out of the Spirit, it would produce love, joy, peace, those kind of things. We can twist. I'm not saying God's Word doesn't have power all by itself. I'm just saying the person sharing it has a, an influence on how it's shared and producing it out of those kind of things. So if we're going to talk real righteousness, what your life looks like isn't enough. Just because you go to church, Dress right, successful in business. All these things that religion says are good or that the world says are good. That's not enough. It's got to come from a heart that's motivated by God's unconditional agape love. It's got to come from that. If it doesn't, if that isn't the motivation, well, here's the problem with that. I can't do that. I can't love you unconditionally. No one can. I, well, no, I love my kids unconditionally. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but no, you don't. No, you don't. How many of you thought about selling them on eBay or Etsy because you made them yourself? <laughs> so walking in the Spirit isn't a life of appearance. Walking in the Spirit is a life lived in dependence upon God. In dependence, not independence. In dependence upon God. Okay? So important because I need God to love through me. That's what real righteousness is, and that's how it's overcome in our life. And we have access to this way because we've been transferred from Adam into Christ. Okay? So... Now, let's move into where this leads us, okay? We have a a new path, and now we're going to move into a new reality. So how is this practical for me? What can I do with this? So here's our second therefore. So these first 11 verses, Paul is laying another basis for the next argument, okay? Romans 7, he lays a basis for Romans 8, and now in the first 11 verses, he lays another basis. So he's given you a theology, a way to think about God, a truth to consider, and now he's going to give you a practical application. Here it is. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Okay? Okay, now that's good, but it's loaded. And you're probably sitting there going, I don't know what I just read. It's okay. Guys, I have looked at this verse thousands of times, and I'm nowhere near plumbing the depths of it, okay? And there's so much here that we could tear into, and we'll get into some of it, all right? Bottom line, you're free from the slavery of sin. So, well, why didn't you just say that? Well, I did many, many times, but... Me saying it and us reading the verse doesn't mean you believe it. Doesn't mean your mind's been transformed as yet into the truth that transforms it. Okay? So you're free from this slavery, but just because you're free from sin doesn't mean it doesn't feel very powerful in your life. I mean, if you're struggling with a sin and I, you know, some specific sin in your life, 
It feels very powerful. Like if you're trying to lose weight and you're trying to overcome the sin of eat comfort eating or whatever, you know, and you're like, man, I'm, you know, I love cake. I love Jesus and I love cake. And, and so Adam, the Adam in me, he's all about the cake. And so anyway, so Romans 6 is where Paul kind of ties into this freedom from this sin a little bit in depth. And so I just want to give you Romans 6, 6, and 7. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Again, crucified with Christ. What Christ did for me, I did with him. So that sin might lose its power in our lives, we are no longer slaves to sin. Now, let me pause. How many times does God have to tell you that you're free from sin and you're no longer slaves from sin and you are, it no longer has control over you? How, long, how many times does he have to say it before we believe it? Okay? Our problem is not a sin problem, it's a faith problem. The struggles in our life are, so verse 7, for when you died with Christ, you were set free from the power of sin. <clears throat> set free. Death of sin. Greek word thanato, thanatao. Thanos in the movie, okay? It rooted in this, death, okay? All right, this word, thanatao. All right, properly it means to put to death, okay? That, that, just the most simple, and that's the, the wording that the NLT chose to employ, put to death the sin that's in your body. But it also has a passive meaning that comes out, that agrees with Romans 7, which means that you are liberated by death. Liberated by death. What does that mean? Well, I, I wish I had time to, oh, no, I do have time because it's in my notes. Yay! Woo! <laughs> Love it when I plan ahead and forget. So Romans 7, 4, okay? My dear brother, uh, yeah, i got to give you background. Romans 7, is, Romans 7, 1 through 4 is this weird mind trip that Paul puts us on, okay? Um, why do I know Romans 5 through 8 so well? Because I've struggled with sin so much, okay? <laughs> and now I realize I wasn't struggling with sin, I'm struggling with faith. But in Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, he talks about a woman being married to a man. And that she's, she's under the law of that man, and the man in his analogy is the law of God. And it's funny because he, it, he, he looks like he's going to use death to separate them. Like the man's, he says, when the man dies, then she's free. But then in verse 3, he kills the wife, which is a weird thing. And you'd have to read yourself see what's going on. But then in verse 4, he comes around. Now, guys, don't get any ideas. Stop that. Stop that. <laughs> so he draws that analogy where we're using death to dissolve a marriage. And he comes to verse 4 and says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. And as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Okay? You see it? You're free to the law because... God killed you by putting you on the cross with Jesus when he died. Your old Adamic nature, nature of Adam, the nature of sin, has been, past tense, nailed to the cross of Jesus. You're free from the law, power, and control of sin. You are free. Okay? This has happened. The result of that is now you can live righteously remember i said a while ago we don't struggle with sin we struggle with faith we struggle believing we struggle with the fact that often our experience does not agree with god's word that's what you're struggling with now you're going if i'm free from sin why do i struggle with lust why do i struggle with complaining gossiping why do i struggle? you fill in the blank whatever your sin is put it in there why do i struggle with this right here the issue is it's a faith problem you don't believe you're actually dead to sin. You think that you are still trying to defeat sin in your life. You're trying to beat something that's already beaten. You're punching a corpse, waiting for him to go down, and he's already down. How frustrating is that? Is that helping? Kind of understand what's happening in your life? So, what if... So I want to help you... We like to say that phrase, you know, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I get it. It's not necessarily wrong in itself. Paul said, I'm the chiefest among sinners. Let me stretch it, though. Can I stretch it? Give me a nod or I won't go on. I was just, I was just lying. I was going to go on. It was a lie. Sinful nature. No, I'm just kidding. What if you're not? What if you were a sinner who was saved by grace? 
And now you're a saint who lives in righteousness. What if you were a sinner who sometimes got it right and now you're a saint who sometimes gets it wrong? Does that make sense? Transition. Things have changed. That's why Paul said, Romans 12, 1, you've got to transform your mind. You've got to think differently. You're not going to live differently until you start to think differently. And in, in thinking differently, we need Christ and His Spirit to transform our minds and, trans, and help us to see that we are actually free, and then we can actually live in that freedom, okay? We can live in the freedom that we have. So Paul goes on in Romans 6 and tells us how to put sin to death. Romans 6.11 says this, You should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. The phrase there, consider yourselves to be dead. Realize that you are dead and then live in the fact you're dead. So the next time you're tempted by the sin in your life, this sinful nature that's in your life, rather than falling down to it, submitting to it in some way, you, you start believing something new. This sin has no power over me. This temptation has no power over me. It doesn't. I'm dead to it. God nailed you to a cross with Jesus Christ. You're dead to sin. As a believer and follower of Christ, you're dead to sin. You're alive to righteousness. That's the truth. Never let circumstances negate God's truth. Never let what's happening in your life negate the truth of God spoken over your life. Does that help? And so we need to understand that we are free from that. We have this new reality in our life and we trust in Christ and believe that what, what he's done for us, okay? When our fruit is inconsistent, when our life is producing things inconsistent with God's nature, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, you got it, then that's where repentance comes in. What's repentance? Turning away? Uh, it's changing the mind. It's changing the mind. Realizing, I'm free. What am I doing? You know, there are times that when temptation comes, if you could just take a minute and wait, you, you, you could escape it real easy. Just wait. Wait for the truth to dawn. Wait for the realization that God is taking, for, uh, has, is, has taken care of this in your life. So here's my heart on this. I hope I can get this right. I think you go towards what you're looking at teach my kids when I teach them to drive. Actually, Christy does most of it because the first kids didn't fare so well under my tutelage. <laughs> but I tell them, the car is going where you're looking. I learned it as a teenager. My dad was teaching me to drive, and an 18-wheeler passed us on a, on a highway on the left, and I started looking at it, and I started drifting into it. My dad grabbed the wheel and pulled over and said, son, the car is going to go where your eyes go. It's the same way with your life. Some of you are sitting there and you're trying to beat sin in your life. Well, that ain't going to work. The very fact that you're trying to beat sin shows where you're operating from. You don't believe that you're free from sin. You don't believe that you've, you've been crucified with Christ. And so now you're being pulled toward it. You're trying to beat this thing and it's just going to suck you into it. That's what's going to happen. That's why you can't beat these temptations. In fact, the temptations you have beat in your life, I would suggest you didn't actually beat those temptations. You just changed to a new sin. I would, and I, I would love to argue that right now, but I'm, I'm like so out of time. Not that that's ever stopped me, but nonetheless. <clears throat> so start looking at what's true for you. Get into Romans chapter 8, and if you're struggling with where you are in life right now, hear me, if you're struggling with where you are in life right now, it's time to get a new thought. It's time to get a new idea in your brain. Get an idea from God, not the world around you. Don't Google it. Get in God's word and see what he has to say. Get God's word in you and let God change your lenses. I'm telling you, reading the Bible is amazing. But unless the Bible gets into you, you're going to read it with your corrupt, twisted, dead lens. The fleshly lens. And you're going to turn it into something that the flesh can do. Because that's just how that fleshly nature works. The, Adam, the nature of Adam works. He, just, he, wa he doesn't want to be nailed to a cross. He doesn't want to be dead. He, he wants to take over your life and, and be in charge. And it's never going to work. And he's been crucified. And you're free of that. 
So today we come to this, this in this message, and, I, and we, we're actually trying to get away from sin and condemnation and guilt and shame. So let me conclude this way. Your past is over. It's over. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Your past was nailed to the cross with him. Every mistake you ever have made or are going to ever make, nailed to the cross with him. Everything that's wrong with you, it's on the cross of Jesus Christ. He died for you. You died with him. It's done. Your past, your past could not be anymore over could not be anymore over. You are so dead. Your future's awesome. Your future's awesome. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see all those mistakes and all the boo-boos and all the dumb things and the bad attitudes. When he looks at you, he just sees his son. <clears throat> He's in you right now. Jesus Christ is in you. As you embrace that truth, you begin to experience that truth. And as you experience that truth, it'll work out in your life because I do believe in real righteousness. <laughs> I believe that God's Holy Spirit in us makes us truly righteous, not pseudo-righteous, not look pretty, but really and truly and honestly righteous. And so I believe in a higher righteousness than the average person talks about, but I think it's only possible through the Holy Spirit in you. So stop thinking so hard about how to overcome sin in your life and start thinking about how dead you are to sin. That's the thought you need to be thinking about. I'm dead to this. Why is this a problem for me? I'm dead to this. You're struggling with addiction? I'm dead to this. It applies to everything. And I know you might need more help than just that thought. But I will say this. As long as you wear the identity of an addict, you will switch addictions, but you'll never be free. Now, that's what I believe, okay? But you can be free, you should be free because Christ died for you and you died with him. You should also start, th you should start thinking about how dead you are to sin. You should also start thinking about how broken sin's power is over you because of Jesus. I mean, seriously. There's a verse in Psalms that talks about God laughing in the, high place, in the heavenly places. Sometime, the next time temptation calls, rather than surrendering to it, if we could just have these two realizations. One, I'm dead to this. Here's sin trying to tempt a dead man. Pfft, whatever. Two, sin, you have no power over me. You have no power. Your power is broken because Jesus Christ died on the cross and that death on the cross broke your power, broke you, broke all of hell, broke Satan, broke everything. God instituted a higher law, the law of, of, of life and the law of spirit through Jesus Christ on the cross, through what Je through Jesus did, through his resurrection. And so now when temptation comes and all those kind of things, whatever they are that bring you down, ruin your life, they don't have to. You're free of those things. And so you can take this truth from God and begin to use it against those things in your, in your life. And so today if you're sitting there and you're struggling and you're like, I don't like where I am, I don't like who I am. I hate what I've done. I hate what I'm doing. Repent. Change your mind. Get a new thought. Get a new thought from God, from his word. And then when you get the thought, now this is important. Because you can write down a lot of thoughts you've heard today and walk out that door and nothing happened. When you get the thought, think about the thought. Put down your Facebook, your social media. You don't need a selfie for this. I had a new thought. You're only laughing because you know what happens. There's probably already some up there right now. I had a new thought in church today. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you look stupid. I'm saying, no, I think I'm saying you look stupid. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Get a new thought. Think about the thought. Press into the thought. You know what we need is revelation. I memorized most of Romans 8 when I was a teenager. 13 or 14. I can't, there's been countless nights I've gone to sleep quoting the chapter in my mind. I am, I'll be 50 this year. I'm not telling you when. <laughs> and, boy, I got distracted. I'm like, oh man, I should have told him that. Anyway, I'm just now starting to get some understanding uh, on the beauty of, and the practicality of Romans chapter 8. So if you've got a new thought today, press into it. Because 
Jesus had a parable about the sower sowing seed, and the first thing he said was some seed thrown, it lands on the roadside, and the enemy comes and plucks it away, and that's what will happen to the thought you had today. That thought, I'm actually dead to sin, I'm free, sin has no control over me, that thought the enemy wants to pluck out as quickly as he can. Because a free Christian terrifies him. If he can't keep distracting you with all the stupid junk in this world, sooner or later you're going to get focused in on your purpose and you're going to do him great harm. And I want you to do him great harm because he's harmed enough. So you repent, get a new thought, start pressing into it, and ask Father to teach it to you. That's why one of the reasons he gave it to the Holy Spirit to teach us his word. I cannot trust my rational logical assessments of God's word they are not trustworthy because they come from Adam Holy Spirit is the only thing that's trustworthy Amen Let's pray Father um, we need revelation I don't know how well I've been able to convey these truths And maybe some of it is a bit, I don't know, deep. Maybe not. Lord, I ask that you would take this message and these words and these scriptures and you would give, give us uh, real righteousness, real different lives, lives that are different. Lives that produce love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and self-control. Lives that give hope. Lives that are not stressed and anxious for fear, lives that are lived in power and in courage, lives that don't need circumstances to go their way to, in order to live in peace. Lord, you said your kids would be weird in First Peter. You said they'd be a peculiar people, weird. And Lord, I know that's exactly the kind of lives Romans 8 produces, something peculiar, something that is out of sorts with the world in which it lives because it lives from another world. And I ask you to help all of us to live differently, to think differently. Please, help us to stop struggling with sin and start embracing faith. In Jesus' name, amen.